This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles and turn with me today to Psalms chapter 90. We're preaching a series on the love of God. And today makes about the sixth sermon in this series, The Love of God. And I hope that by now you have your, your bulletin, you have something to write on. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to take as many notes as you possibly can. This morning, we're going to be talking about the message in the grip of God's love. And I pray that it will be a blessing to your heart. In the grip of God's love. And our main text today comes from Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 12. I want you to follow along with me. You might have an iPhone, an iPad. I don't know whichever way you choose to look at the scriptures today. Of course, we'll have them on our big screen. But more importantly, I pray that they will, these words will penetrate your heart. I want to give you some thought today. I want you to think with me as we speak and preach from God's holy word in the grip of God's love. Now look with me in this simple verse this morning in Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 12. The Bible says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now that's a thought-provoking verse. It's a challenging verse. It's something that applies to every single one of us in here today. Those of you that are watching, please do not think just because you're not here that the message is not applicable to you because it is. It fits all of us. Teach us to number our days. And we're speaking on in the grip of his love. Listen very carefully. This particular psalm was written by Moses. I'm not going to go back and read the first 11 verses of this great text for you, but just to give you a little idea, in the beginning of this book, this chapter, Moses introduces God as three incredible things. He introduces him as our refuge. He introduces him as our creator. And he introduces God as being everlasting to everlasting, eternal. Moses had a very unique relationship with God. He had a very special relationship with the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that Moses spoke face to face with God. In Exodus chapter 33, verse number 11, the word says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now, tell me if that's not an awesome relationship. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, and a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Moses knew that life on this earth 
was short. And I want everybody to pay close attention this morning. James said it was like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Moses knew. Even though people back in his day lived excessively longer than people live today, and that was an arrangement of God, even in that declaration, even in that period of time, Moses knew that life on earth was short. In fact, if you'll notice verse 3 of this text, Psalms 90, verse 3, Moses put it this way. Thou turnest man to destruction. You've heard the old saying, from dust to dust. So Moses knew the severity of the importance of our days. And in verse 12, we're well familiar with this text, or at least we should be, when he says, So teach us to number our days. Now, I want you to look at that very carefully this morning. He knew the importance of making every single day count and not to take one day for granted. In fact, along this line, Jesus gave a parable in the New Testament on the foolishness of not counting our days. This is how important it is. In Luke chapter 12, verse number 19, the word says, and I will say to my soul, don't ever forget this, you have a soul. You have an earthly body, an earthly tabernacle that you're walking around in every day, one that people see every day, one that you display every day. People can look upon your earthly tabernacle and they can see whether or not you're happy, you're sad, whether you're hurting whether you're troubled, they can look upon your earthly tabernacle and get a synopsis of what's going on in your life. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Because this guy, this dude was thinking, oh, I've got all the time in the world. I'm going to just get my ducks in the row. I'm going to cross my T's and dot my I's. Time is on my side. And because of that, he said, I'm going to eat Drink and be merry. In verse 20 of this text, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy, shall, thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose things be which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and does not rich toward God. And so in this text, the rich man believed that he had plenty of time. He had an abundance of time to enjoy all of his pleasures, all of the things that he had acquired on the earth. He felt like he just had a truckload of years in front of him to sit back and just let the good times roll. But God made it very clear to him that in one instant, in one breath, one heartbeat, God would require his soul. Your soul is much more valuable than the earthly tabernacle that we haul around every day. 
What shall it profit a man if he gain it all, the whole world, and lose his soul? Eternity was the farthest thing from this rich man's mind. And so getting back to the text in Psalms 90, Moses is teaching us now to value our days, to number our days. And in fact, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5, 16. He said, redeem the time. And so we have different writers of Scripture putting a focus on time, redeeming time. Don't take life for granted. Take it seriously. And so Moses, his words were clear, and the importance was not only to number our days, take into consideration our days, but he said, if you do that, then you can find wisdom, apply wisdom, he said, that we may apply wisdom uh, to our hearts. And so the Bible, listen carefully this morning, the Bible And I hope you just don't depend on the big screens. Thank God for them. That helps us in many, many ways. I'm I'm glad we have them. But listen, don't just rely on the big screen on Sunday. Every one of you ought to own a Bible. Everybody ought to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you let me know. I'll make sure that before the sun goes down tonight, you'll have a Bible in your hand. Don't ever rely upon the big screen. I think about this, the Bible, God's holy word. It's a treasure chest for every believer. I'm telling you this morning, when you read, when you open God's word and you begin to read its blessed pages, you can find, as verse 12 mentions, you can find wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, James says, that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You can find wisdom, you can find instruction, you can find peace, you can find joy, you can find comfort, you can find salvation, you can find forgiveness, you can find security. Whatever it is that you're looking for and searching for today, you can find it. In the troubling world that we live in today, And you don't have to look very far to come to the startling reality that we are in a mess, a royal mess. We're not just in a worldwide mess. We're not just in the states of America being in a mess, but Virginia is in a mess. Listen carefully. We need comfort. We need joy. We need security. We need all of these things. The world, listen carefully, is not for those who love the Lord. The world is not for those who know the Lord. Meaning this, that the world is not on our side. The world's not on our side. Don't ever think that for one moment. In fact, the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere. And uh, this spirit of Antichrist, this human secularism that's infiltrating the world today, it's beginning to affect every single thing in our life, everything around our life. But Jesus gives us great comfort in his word. And this is one of the incredible things about the scriptures. He says this in John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, he said, you would have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. 
And so one of the best thoughts that a Christian could have is this, and never let go of this spiritual truth this morning, that everything that happens on this earth, everything that affects the believer, everything that affects the church of the living God is only temporary. Don't ever forget that. The heavenly consolation of the word that it gives to us today is this. In fact, listen, I would hate to think as a believer, I would hate to think that I would have to live in this world forever. How about you? I, I would have to think that I would have to live in this old sinful world forever. I would hate to think that this world was all that there was Jehovah Witness believe this, that when a person dies, that's just the end of it. This world is the only thing that they would ever know unless they were part of the 144,000, which they have grossly and seriously taken out of context in the Word of God. It has nothing to do with Gentiles. It's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, but that's a prophecy sermon all in itself. I would hate to think that this world is all that I would ever know. And all that I would ever experience, the Bible, God's word has hope for everybody. And that is this, and listen very carefully. Heaven is not only a place where the eternal redeemed will live forever, but until we get there, until the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ are raised, and we are changed and made incorruptible and receive a glorified body until we get there. No matter how cold, no matter how dark, no matter how sinful, no matter how lonely this old wretched world becomes, we do not have to live one single day of it apart from Jesus Christ. According to the word, listen carefully, I will never ever have to live one day out of his grip. Not one. I will never forget the day that the Lord Jesus took me into his grip. The year was 1963, and I was a five-year-old boy. I came home from school one day, and my mother was waiting to share with me the gospel. She took time to explain to me the gospel you know, parents today, I've run into many, many times, parents tell me this in a gospel presentation, well, I'm not going to try to make the choice for my children. I, I'm not going to try to help them. I'm not going to try to influence them on who they want to be or who they ought to be. I'm just going to try to send them out on life, and I just hope that they find themselves and that they can be whatever it is that they want to be. But you know what? That doctrine, that philosophy is out of hell. I do not, listen carefully, I love every grandchild, every child that I have. I, I'm not hoping that they find it, and I'm not hoping that they make it. I want to take the word of God, and listen, I cannot force it down their throat. I cannot make them to be saved, but I'm going to live every day that I possibly can to show them the light and help them to know Jesus in a personal way. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to cross the Jordan without giving myself the assurance Assurance, my children, the assurance that at least they heard the truth. Amen. I'll never forget that day. I came home from school 
And my mother was waiting to share with me the gospel. She took time to explain to me the gospel. I didn't understand all of the gospel then, but you know what? I'm 64 years old, and I don't know if I really understand it all today. I don't know why he first loved me. In that while I was a wretched sinner, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to figure God out. All I know is this. He, I love him because he first loved me. That settles the matter. And she began to explain to me the gospel. I didn't understand it all back then, but the one thing that I did know that I did not want to die and go to hell. And I remember inviting Jesus into my heart. And I knew then what a relief it was. I didn't want to go to hell. I remember how relieved I was. I knew that when I died that Jesus was going to take me to heaven. I mean, who in their right mind, young or old, wants to die and go to hell. If you're listening today by internet, listen carefully. Who in their right mind wants to die and go to hell? I've only met one man in my entire life that told me that's where he wanted to go. He's a fool. Nobody in their right mind wants to die and go to hell, and you don't have to. Jesus has paid the price. The thoughts of that possibility scared me to death, going to hell. And I realized that only Jesus could protect me from that. And that was a very exciting day for me. I wanted to tell the world. I felt like the world of problems, the burdens, I felt like the heaviness, the, the scaredness, uh, the fear, I felt like it just all instantly lifted me. But when I gave my heart to Christ at a very young age, I soon began to learn at a very rapid pace that the devil was not going to let my party go on forever. As a very young convert, very soon after salvation, I started running into walls. I started running into dead ends. The older I got, the harder life got. I found myself more off the path than on the path. And that's probably the story of every person in here today if we're going to be honest with it. Maybe you found yourself so far off the path that you even questioned how in the world could I possibly be saved. And let me remind you of something. That one of the specialties of the devil... He cannot take away your salvation. That's another sermon altogether. But he can affect your joy. The devil will come to you and listen carefully. He may not be able to take away your salvation, but he can play with your mind, he can play with your heart, and he can play with your faith. He specializes in that. I'm sure all of us would think that it would have been awesome that the day that we got saved that the Lord Jesus would have just beamed us up. You remember Star Trek and, and Captain Kirk would say, beam me up, Scotty, beam me up. And we would think, I think at times that because of the world and all of the mess and everything we live in today, that if we got saved and the Lord would just say, beam me up. Listen, that would be wonderful, but that's not how God arranged it. 
where we would think sometimes that we would be instantly freed from all of the dark influences of the world, but that's not how God has designed life. The truth of the matter is this. Most of us, after we got saved, listen, and I hope this is still true today, you have been a strong influence on somebody's life. When you got saved, you've been a very strong influence on somebody's life. You've got the light. You've got the truth. How good is the light and the truth going to be? Listen, if this were a barn, but it's a church, I could use a farming illustration this morning about the seed, but listen carefully. This is a church. How, how would it be that if we hold a Bible in our hands today and we have the word of God, we have the truth, we have the light, we have the knowledge of the truth, the life and the way, we, we know that we're going to heaven. What good is that going to be to us beyond that personal salvation experience if we store all of that up in this church house and never one time breathe a word of it outside its walls? I hope and pray that the day you got saved, from that time, that day you got saved, that you have been a strong influence on somebody's life. A strong influence, maybe even where that person accepted Christ. Because if you had not been in that person's life, then who knows where would they be today? But listen very carefully this morning. One of the great things we can be confident in as believers is this, that even though we are going to have disruptive moments in our life, we're going to have broken hearts. We're going to have all of the scars of sin to deal with. We're going to be affected by this world's corruptness through it all. God has promised in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Can the church say amen? There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and I hope you will learn this as well as you have learned John 3, 16. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And there is absolutely nothing that can cause him to lose his grip on us once we have been born again into his family. No one can deny this. No one. Listen carefully that when we run into the walls of life, when we get off of the path, when we have become wounded by the enemy, when we hit rock bottom and and it does slice deep into our faith. Let me reassure you that there is nothing in this world or that the old devil can do that can ever cause God to lose one single grip on your life. Never. Even though life may be turned upside down and the devil will certainly come after your joy. I can remember this. Sister Rose... Most of you know that her life has been permanently affected by a stroke that she has had in, in recent time. Before COVID hit, we would always end our Wednesday night prayer services, our Bible studies with a prayer circle. We'd always get in the prayer circle and we'd line around here. And I can remember her standing right here. I was standing there. She was standing here. 
and the night before her surgery. She turned to the prayer circle and she said, the doctors have given me their opinion and I am a very high risk candidate for a stroke. Now, that's not the first one that she had. The aneurysm had affected her brain in times past. I have been with her in the good times. I have been with her in the bad times. One of the first serious aneurysms she had, the doctors told her I was sitting on her bed, the edge of her bed the next morning after the surgery, and the surgeon came in and he said, Mrs. Wood, I have some bad news for you. He said, during the surgery, he said, I clipped by mistake and accident one of the main nerves that controls the movement of your left hand, your left arm, and you will never be able to move it again. I was sitting on her bed when she said, you mean like this? And that I've never seen a physician look in the way that he looked. But the surgeon stared at her and he said, ma'am, I don't understand this. Have you ever had your lip quiver in public? Have you ever had a teardrop fall in public when you knew that the only explanation was God? She knew it, and I knew it. What he knew was, it was not supposed to be like this. And we rejoiced, and time moved on. And that night, she stood in this prayer. Rose Witt would not miss a service, naturally. She's not here today, but she's here most every Sunday. And I will tell you this, that ought to come raging in the heart of every single one of us to know what this woman does to get to church every Sunday. But she did this for her husband, Crowder, for years. Some of you may not know this, but Rose would wake up at 4.30 on Sunday morning, 4.30. There's probably people in this auditorium, definitely people watching by internet said, I'd never do that. I wouldn't get up at 4.30 in the morning and dress that man and go through all this stuff and haul him to church. I can just sit here with a cup of coffee in my bathroom. I'm not doing all that. 4.30 every morning she worked him and fed him and dressed him, put him in the car, put him in the wheelchair and brought him to church. Rose and Crowder wouldn't miss nothing. I don't care what it was. Whether it was dinner on the grounds, whether it was a gospel concert, whether it was a barbecue, whether it was a revival meeting, whether it was preaching service, they wouldn't miss nothing. She took care of him hand and foot. She's standing here in the prayer circle now getting ready for surgery. Crowder's in heaven. And she said, I know the risk. I want this church to pray for me. We did. We joined hands and we began to pray. We had seen God do it one time. And we were praying God would do it all over again. Because 
He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it one time, he could do it again. And if he'd never done it, he still could do it because he's God. And I got the phone call. It did not go well. Pray. I got the next call. They are rushing her back into emergency surgery. She's had an aneurysm. It burst. Then I got the next call. The doctors do not know if she's going to make it through the night. And then I got the next call. They don't know if she will ever regain movement on her side ever again. I can tell you this. There's not a person in this church that whatever happens to you, listen, you can, you can skin your knee, call this church office, and let us know, and I begin to pray with a heavy heart. There's nothing that can happen to any one of you whether big or small, that does not affect this old heart in me. And when I get the word, I sit at my desk and I begin to pray, oh God, in Jesus' name, let it be okay. Let it be okay. God, work this out for a testimony. Let this all work out for the good. And I have seen God do it many times. And then I have seen God for whatever his purpose and reason is not to do that, not to get involved in those types of testimonies where things from an earthly perspective just did not improve. But this is what I've known. This is what I've seen. After the song service starts, that side door will open. And Lewis, her son, or Lynn, her daughter, will push her in a wheelchair. No, she's not what she used to be. And today, she sits in that wheelchair, and there's not a whole lot of movement. And she sits with a blanket over her right over here by the door. And when I'm preaching out of the corner of my eye, I can see her. She's limp. Not able to move like she used to move. At the end of the service, when everybody leaves, one of the two kids will push her down here to where Brother Kurt is sitting. And that wheelchair will park right here, and I'll sit right there. I'll put my hand around her shoulders. I'll pull her head close to my lips, and I will kiss her on the head, and I will say this to her. Lord, sure has been good. And you know what she says? Oh, no, it's not what most people think. She's never said, he's done me wrong. He let go of my hand 
He deserted me when I needed him the most. She's not whined and cried in a way that she is despondent and repulsive against the Almighty, but she weeps with tears when I say, he loves you. She says, I know, as her body jerks and trembles and cries, I know he does. She's convinced of one thing, that no matter where she is or what she's doing, what roads of life turn and twist for her, she knows that she's in his grip. Suffering is a part of life, folks. We need to get that. There are millions of horror stories of people who are suffering today walking all around us. And there may be someone here this morning who's suffering from some terrible thing and it's going on in your life and you believe that it's beginning to rock your faith but listen get a grip on this suffering is part of the deal acts 9 verse 15 and 16 the lord said unto him go thy way for he's a chosen vessel you know the story on the damascus road to bear my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel for i was now god speaking now uh, to to ananias now about paul he's had this this uh, situation to where he's blind. He said, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. God's tell, telling Ananias, listen, Barnabas and Ananias, they, they, they know what kind of man Saul of Tarsus has been. God's now speaking the word. I want you to go with him, help him now to the street called straight because he's going to find a man. And they can probably stand back and say, God, what are you talking about? This man is a psycho. I don't want to be anywhere near him. God is saying, but go that way. He's going to be greatly used for me. He's going to suffer many things for my namesake. So as a Christian, don't get blown out of the water when it's your turn. First Peter says this in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as the, though some strange thing happened unto you. But when this happens, I want you to remember five great spiritual truths. I'm going to move quick. Get your bulletin out. Look at it. Five great spiritual truths. Number one, remember this. We're always in his grip. Psalms 91, verse 14 and 16, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He knows every hair on your head. It's numbered. He shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Listen, Moses said, number your days. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Don't forget this, that when the gates of hell open up upon your life, God's got you. Regardless, remember he's the almighty who's holding your hand. Do you ever remember what it was like to take a little child's hand and cross a busy street? I can remember many times with my own children and my grandchildren. We get out of the car and we get ready to go into the store. And I would say this, give me your hand. I can remember, I can feel it now. And if you think hard enough with me, you can feel it too. I can remember those little five fingers coming into my hand. They couldn't fit all around my hand, but I can remember those little five fingers in my hand, so weak, 
and light and gentle and soft. And I'd take my hand and I'd get it all around those five little fingers and I would hold on tight. Now, who had who? That little child crossed that street with confidence. My daddy's got me. Can, can you remember something similar to that? Psalms 91 verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Listen to this. God's got you. Number two, real quickly, God's grip will protect us against our enemies. Never forget that. And by the way, you might say, I don't have any, but yes, you do. You got one big one, and that's the devil. Number two, you got a third of his angels. So believe me, every person in here has enemies. Your enemies may come in ones, they may come in twos, they may come in droves. But when that happens, don't get bitter. Remember this. If you don't remember anything I say this morning, remember this. Remember this. Remember this. When it comes to your enemies, you will never get a crown for loving people who love you. Are you with me? You will never get a crown for loving people who love you. But you just may, if you obey the words of Jesus in Matthew 4, 5.44, but I say unto you, love your enemies. You'll never get a crown for loving people who love you. But when it comes to loving your enemies... Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. God will protect you against your enemies. Isaiah 41 verse 11. Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing and they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shall not find them, even them that contended with thee. They that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. God saying this, don't worry, I got your hand. I got it. I'm holding your hand. Number three, being in God's grip will help you to become more focused on his plan for our life. Philippians 3.12, Paul said it this way, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend it, that which also I have apprehended of Christ Jesus. So listen, God has a plan. He has a plan for you. Spend endless time of prayer finding out what his plan and purpose for you is. Because, listen, it takes all of us in the body of Christ. Paul said, we then as workers, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 1, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Number four, being in God's grip gives us boldness while on the earth. 
Paul said it this way in Romans 8.31, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And number five, real quickly, I'm going to ask our musicians to come right now. Being in God's grip gives us present and everlasting peace and security. Have you ever been to maybe 4th of July celebrations and you were there to have a great time with your family to watch the fireworks and for whatever reason you chose to sit down in the middle of hysteria and what might seem to be like a carnival atmosphere. Thousands of people and whatever little piece of grass you decide to sit down on. Unfortunately, you got the place in front of 10 crying babies. I can remember going to the Holy Land many times, flying nine hours from Richmond to Tel Aviv. And it always seemed to be <clears throat> that <clears throat> when, when they gave me a seat, that it would always be the seat behind three crying babies and I mean to tell you they it was a ride but I could I'd look over there and this dude he's he's sacked out he's snoring like a grizzly bear I got these three babies in front of me that crying like they never had a drop of milk I can remember one time I said to the stewardess halfway there I said listen could you please give those three children what you gave him Not really. But but I can remember going to the fireworks and sitting down and watching those beautiful array of lights go off and the loud booms and bangs whenever that would happen. It would joke these children and they would be petrified. They'd scream and cry and carry on and I'm thinking, man, what am I doing here? But this past 4th of July reminded me of something. When those fireworks went off and they began to explode in those beautiful colors and those kids would just scream to high heaven, I remembered many, 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 many years ago when I was a little child Right behind the little cinder block house we lived in on Borden Plank Road in Petersburg, Virginia, you could stand at the back door and watch fireworks go off. And when they would explode, it would terrorize me. But I'll never forget when my daddy said, come here, I'll hold you. He picked me up in his arms. He carried me to that back door. And when those fireworks began to explode, I could feel like he was giving me the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> and I knew I was safe. I didn't have a care in the world. 
I thought that was the, beautiful, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. You know why? Because my daddy had a grip on me. When the bombs are bursting in your life and your life is going south, remember this, you are never, ever out of his grip. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.